You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. This message comes from our 2014 Desperation Conference, Jesus Reigns. For more information, visit us at desperationonline.com. Hey, it's such a privilege to be with you guys today. More than anything, I love the presence of God, and I feel like God has given me a word today to to share with you all. So I just want to kind of jump right in. Before I do that, I want to introduce my amazing Octavia Cormier. She's seated right there. Come on, stand up. My vision, vision of love. (laughs) Yes. She's my everything. My baby is at home or sleeping somewhere. Ryan Nicole, you'll see her walking around. Screaming, being charismatic, wonder where she gets it, whatever. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a blessed man. Let's jump right into the Word of God today. I don't have a whole lot of time, and I feel like you like me enough to where I don't have to tell goofy stories and get you to like me or whatever. I just don't have the time. I have a very large text of Scripture, and, and uh, I was going to try to summarize it even as I was continuing to prepare about a couple hours ago, just kind of finishing up. And, uh, and sometimes we have the privilege and the liberty of summarizing certain things, but we never want to make the assumption that you just kind of know the story. I know that everybody here is in a different place in your journey with the Lord. So I'm going to come from a seemingly familiar passage of scripture for some, and it may be brand new for others. So just bear with me. I'm thinking about people who just kind of started coming to church and, and maybe don't know the story of Abraham. So we're going to go straight to the word of God today in Genesis chapter 22. And I'll start reading at verse 1. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. It says, uh, sometime later, and it'll be on the screens for you if you don't have your Bibles. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Verse two, take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love. Everybody say whom you love so much and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Verse three says the next morning, Abraham got up early. Everybody say got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Verse five says, stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, listen to this. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship. Everybody say worship. There and then we will come right back. Verse six. So Abraham placed on the wood, but he placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, We have the fire, we have the wood. The boy said, But where is the sheep? For the burnt offering. Verse 8. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Continue in verse 9. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar. Everybody say an altar. And arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And verse 10 says, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, 
The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Verse 12, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. 13 says, then Abraham looked up, saw a ram, caught it by its, caught by its horn in the thicket. So he took the ram, sacrificed it, a burnt, bar, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Verse 14, Abraham named the place Yahweh, Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. Couple more verses. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Listen to this. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond numbers like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And finally, verse 18, and through your descendants, All the nations of the earth will be blessed. And listen to these last vital words. All because you have obeyed me. I'm going to pray for us really quickly and give you a title to this message. I've simply titled it Empty Altars. Everybody say Empty Altars. Bow your heads with me, Father. I thank you for the power that is in the preached word of God. I thank you that I'm not here to talk. I'm not here to tell jokes. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to preach your word to your people to effect change, eternal change, and heart and mind transformation by the power of the Holy Ghost that is released whenever we preach your word. So we say, come Holy Spirit and speak to us even now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Y'all doing all right? Everybody good? All right. Okay, I need y'all to talk back to me, okay? Will you help me preach today? Y'all gonna help me? Will this section help me? Section four, y'all kind of quiet over here. You gonna help me preach today? Thank you very much. What about section two? Where you at? Thank you. Thank you so much. And the rest of you, what about section 10? Y'all, y'all, y'all. All right, here we go. All right, so in my early days, early days of high school, I had just divine encounter. All right, section 11, where you at? <laughs> That's my people. I love the people that I get to work and do life with here, mostly sitting on this front row. Our incredible desperation staff. I love doing life and ministry with you guys. All right? Just so you know. Okay, great. All right, here we go. So in my early high school days, whenever I had just this, had an encounter with the Lord and, and he became personal, personal to me. Um, I remember conversations even with my parents and Specifically with my mom, there's a couple of times where she said, Brandon, you know, we're so proud of what God's doing in your life. But then she just began to offer me a few words of wisdom, just saying, Brandon, you know, everything will not always be easy serving, serving the Lord. Brandon, there will come a day whenever he's going to, and even multiple times, require 
things from you. He's going to make, and it may be big things, big, big sacrifices. I'm like, oh yeah, mom, that's cute. You know, praise God. And, 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 and so even going through high school, I think how many of you know, whenever you meet someone and you kind of have like what we call just like the honeymoon phase where, where you're not really yourself yet, because you got to make sure that these people actually like you. Anybody ever been there before? Like you kind of put on, yeah, we all do it. And we put our best foot forward. And you know, if you want to make friends and Hey, here's some dating advice. You always want to put your best foot forward. Okay. For as long as you can. And then the real you is going to come out and show up at some point. But as long as you can, just try to be nice. Put your best foot forward. We call that the honeymoon phase where everybody's just kind of, we, we kind of maybe even walk on eggshells. But, but, but in every relationship, the honeymoon phase kind of, in, a, a, kind of ends. And then we begin to become real with one another. Can I get an amen? And so, and so as I was, as I was just kind of starting off in my journey and serving the Lord, I felt like, man, this is kind of like a honeymoon phase. Like, I don't even know if I can really be real with God yet. So I'm just kind of trying to put my best foot forward and, 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 and loving God and, and serving him. And then all of a sudden got connected with this crazy group of friends who had this radical idea. Maybe we should show up early about 45 minutes before school and just pray. And it was this weird, quirky, dorky group of people. It was me and about about four others. I mean, like the weirdest people in my high school. And, and we called our little club God's army. It was just whatever. Okay. In the nineties, armies was a big thing with the Lord. You know, I'm in the army of the Lord, you know, come on all, everybody over 25. Come on. Y'all remember the army? Yeah. Come on. The whole army motif. I'm a, so I got my spiritual sword, you know, I'm a chop the devil head off. Okay. And so we were like, yeah, I'm gonna get my bow and arrow and shoot the demons and whatever. And so, and so we had this quirky little group and I was also part of FCA FCA was like for the cool kids, you know? So I was in that group too. Okay. But then I would say, okay, we got to pray. And so we had to move on over to, to God's army because you know, and so, so a couple of my friends, we were like, all right. And these are the super, super dorky ones. And, and it was great. And, and we would just show up about 45 minutes before school every Tuesday morning, God's army. I almost started to pull a picture from my, um, from my yearbook, but I was, yeah, whatever. Um, so, so we would show up and it's just the weirdest picture. It's like five people. And this one girl with these big, huge, glasses and I'm there with my little keychain thing because that was big wearing lanyards or whatever. And then, so, and so I just remember praying and I remember thinking, gosh, we got to get up early and do this, but they would, we would encourage one another. So we would show. And so I began to think, wow, that's, that's quite the sacrifice. And then about a year or so later, I got connected with this incredible, just powerful praying group of people who they would have these conference calls in the morning, um, from five 30 AM to about six 15, six 20 AM on the phone. And they just said, Brandon, we feel like you're supposed to be a part of this. And I said, I don't know if you heard God. God on that one. Cause I don't, we, I, we, Jesus don't want to be nowhere around me before 6 a.m. Okay. And so, and they're like, no, 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 no. So, but we have to pray because we want to pray for a move of God and revival in our city, Louisiana, uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana at that time. And so I remember setting an alarm clock and thinking, oh God, it's five something. I don't even go to school until eight o'clock. My bus don't even come until seven oh five. I'm trying to get as many men. How many of you are not morning people? Every minute counts. Come on somebody. And so it's like, geez, 
keys. And so, so, but I remember, I remember waking up, setting an alarm and my phone would ring. And there was a couple of times where I'd be, oh God, decline on my little Nokia cell phone and, and, you know, just decline. And then, and then they were called back and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what, <laughs> there you are. I've been waiting for this call, whatever. And so we would pray, we would pray, we pray in the spirit, we pray in English, we pray into, we literally are praying in the spirit. 45 minutes. I, I didn't even know I could pray for beyond 10 minutes, but for 45 minutes, just sat there on the phone. God, we need you to send revival and praying in the spirit and praying in English. And then about the last 10 minutes, we would just talk about what the Lord was showing us in the way of intercession for our city. And so I remember thinking, surely this is what my mom was talking about. I mean, like just kind of making sacrifices for the, for the cause of Christ. And if you ask anyone who's done anything great, They will always refer to the sacrificial prices that obedience requires. We sacrifice, we do things for God, not to prove something, not to earn something. We sacrifice because this is who we are. Because we actually, I, I can't speak for you. I I can speak for the desperation stuff. I can speak for us here. We want to see God pour out his spirit in an unprecedented way in this generation, in the United States. I know that God is moving across the nations. Thank God for what he's doing in Trinidad and Tobago. We go there for the last three years. Thank God for what he's doing in Africa and different parts. But God, what about my country? What about my generation? What about those teenagers in this generation who do not know you for who you really are in all of your glory and in all of your presence and in all of your might would you pour out your spirit again because this generation is hungry that's why we go to counterfeits that's why we go to false relationships that's why we're enchanted with the demonic and the supernatural because we're saying there's gotta be more there's got to be more to God than what I'm just seeing even every now and then and I'm here to tell you There's more. There's more. I remember as a teenager reading through the book of Acts and reading through the word of God saying, Lord, where are the miracles of old? Oh God, where is your power that will slap the taste for drugs and alcohol out of somebody's mouth and set them eternally free? Where is your power? Where is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? He began to deal with me talking about sacrifices and little things along the way. See, we give up the good in order to pursue the great. We give up the good in order to pursue the great. So go into this text of scripture in Genesis verse one. It says, and God tested Abraham. Now, of course, those of us who read our Bibles, we know that the word of God even says in James, let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God for God, neither tempts, neither is he tempted. Okay. And so, but there is a testing that takes place because listen to this, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If your faith can't be tested, your faith cannot be trusted. And so with Abraham, very clearly, the word of God says, God tested Abraham's faith. See, there comes a season, there comes a time, there comes even, I believe, multiple moments over the course of our lives. I believe when God really wants to reveal his secrets to you, 
when he really wants to reveal his nature and, and a new element, perhaps, of his character and his kindness and his goodness to you, that there will come a testing to take place to reveal what's really in your heart. Can I get an amen? See, many times the testing is the predecessor to divine revelation and truth. There's something that God wants to say beyond what he's requiring you to do. It's never about your silly, stupid sacrifice because we can never out-sacrifice God. We can never outgive God. We can never out-pour uh, out, 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 out our lives to God. Whenever God gets ready to give, he always gives his very best. And if nothing else, it was revealed in his son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And so verse 2 goes on to say in this dialogue with, with Abraham, God says, take your only son, specifically the son whom you love. Now, those of us, again, who kind of know the story, we know that Isaac is not Abraham's only son. We know that earlier in the journey, though God gave a promise to Abraham, Abraham listened to his wife, Sarah, had an affair with, his, with, 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 with their servant, Hagar, and produced a son named Ishmael. And God said, says, no, 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 no. I don't operate in the work of the flesh. I always operate in the work of the spirit. And so as much as we try and we strive in our flesh, it will never be good enough because it's not by power, neither is it by might, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord, in which he accomplishes things. So Abraham does what he does. Ishmael, so he has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. But whenever God is referring to Isaac, he says, take your son, your only son. Now, what's interesting there is in the Hebrew, it would really bring it out. It's not that it's his only son. It's the son in whom the promise dwelt. It's the son that carried the promise and the prophetic message that God spoke to Abraham. It's the only begotten son. In the Hebrew, it's the same Hebraic way to, to describe what Jesus was to God. How many of you know that God doesn't have just one son? Jesus was the firstborn of many sons. Now he has made a way and God has many sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. But for our practical purposes, we say his only begotten son. It's the son in whom the promise dwell. The same is for Abraham. Are y'all doing okay? So, so take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. You see, Isaac represented the dreams of Abraham. Everything that Abraham was living for resided on the inside of Isaac. Isaac was his successor. Isaac represented the next generation. And not only that, but for generations to come. So if there was ever a thing that was of most value to Abraham, it would be this son by the name of, shout it out at me, Isaac. And that's the very thing, ironically enough, that God says, that's the thing that I'm requiring of you. See, this is a very big deal, again, because Isaac meant everything to Abraham. Literally everything to this man of God. And, and, and anyone who does anything great in the kingdom must walk through the doorway of sacrifice. There's just no getting around it. I do realize that 
Some of you, you, know, you just whatever you you are where you are. It is where it is. It is what it is. You know, you, whenever you say, gosh, do you care about a generation? No, I barely care about myself. OK, whatever. But I believe that there are some who God is raising up in this hour that says I have an authentic burden for my generation. And, 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 and I actually care about my gen. I care what's going on in my school. I care that several of my friends are pregnant and, and they're not even married. And, and I, I care that, that I have these friends that are just strung out. I, I care about this person who's going through hell and high waters because of family issues. I actually care. And I know that you are calling me to do something about it. No, even you have chosen me because I am one who is responding to the call and I can do something about it. God, what is it you are requiring of me? Whenever God gets ready to do something in a generation, whenever God wants to shake up things in a nation, he always, always, always chooses a man or a woman who just simply says, stands up and says, yes, I'll go kind of like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, who will go for us? Who will shout to the corners of the earth? Who will go? Who will go for us? And Isaiah saying, uh, I'll go. And all of a sudden we have a chosen Isaiah and it's the same invitation that's being extended to those of us today who will say, yes, Lord, what are you requiring of me? It's easy to say yes until he says, now here are the requirements of what I'm calling you to do. Come on, that's not a popular message anymore. But I remember, I remember sacrifices in high school. I remember Friday night sometimes after the football game coming and laying on the floor in my bedroom with Jason Upton, hello, playing, saying, God, teach me how to pray. Not my will or my plans or the way that I want it. I'm so tired of my hands in the way. So reveal to this heart, the true heart of my father today. Teach me how to pray. No, that was not for you. That's literally what I used to cry out on my face in my bedroom say, God, would you send revival to my generation? And I'm not talking about emotionalism and I'm not talking about some just stupid hype. I'm talking about a real fire of God that will burn in your heart for decades after decades after decades. I am 30 years old. God help me. I am 30 years old and the fire has only been stoked. The desire has only gotten bigger and better. And it's not because I'm a youth pastor. It's because I fell in love with the presence of God. It's because I fell in love with the Holy Ghost. It's because I fell in love with the Spirit of God and said, Lord, there's just got to be more to it than this. What are you requiring of me? And in different seasons of our lives, he'll require different things. We want revival without repentance. We want anointing with no altar. We want power, but no persecution. But God says the requirements are here. Here are the the requirements and here's the blessing. The blessing is always bigger than what he asks you to do. It's never about the sacrifice. It's about what he wants to give you and what he wants to do through you. Are you here? Me Desperation Conference 2014. And so God tells him, Here's the requirement, Abraham. I want you to take your son, your only son, the son in whom my, pro- my promise has been imparted to. And here's what I'm requiring you to do I want you to go, I want you to build an altar, 
And I want you to sacrifice him. And here's the interesting part. Because we just kind of read scriptures. Well, no big deal. That's so cute. Abraham had many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. And God tells him to kill his son. And all we see is God says in the very next verse. And the next day, early in the morning, Abraham got up. And he actually began the journey of doing what God required him to do. You never doubt in the darkness what God has required and revealed to you in the light. What God speaks to you here at conference, you don't doubt it. You don't second guess it. You don't go back and pray about it for seven months. I don't care. Whatever it is, you go home, you wake up and you do it. And then you repeat and then you do it again until God requires something else of you. Does that make sense? And so Abraham demonstrates, we can all say that we love Jesus, but our faith is not authenticated until our actions are aligned. Belief is not real belief until your actions are realigned to match up your statement of faith. And so Abraham just says, yeah, I'll go. See, radical transformation is waiting for those with radical obedience. Radical transformation It's reserved for those who will walk in radical obedience. I'm talking about whenever it doesn't make sense to your friends. I'm talking about whenever it doesn't make sense to those around you. You say, this is what God is requiring of me. And you can do whatever it is you want to do. And you can listen to whatever it is you want to listen to. And you can watch whatever you want to watch. But this is what God is requiring of me. And I demand radical transformation. So my obedience must be radical. Oh, I know it's not popular. By the way, this is grace at its best because grace is never an excuse to be less. It is our power to be more than we could ever be in our own strength. So verse five, early next morning, verse four, verse five, he says this to his, to his servants. He says, Hey, me, uh, leave the donkeys here and me and my son, we are going to go and we are going to worship. Now, what's interesting about this is this is the first place in most translations, except for the New Living Translation. This is the this is the first place where the word worship actually occurs in our Bible. New Living translates it a little bit early in Scripture, but really the Hebrew says, "And uh, Abraham, I think it's verse tw- uh, chapter twelve or so." Abraham began to call on the name of the Lord. But calling on the name of the Lord in terms of what worship really is with the Hebraic understanding isn't revealed until Genesis chapter 22 right here. And so for all practical purposes, our definition of worship can be found right here. It's the first time that somebody by scripture, by a definition of worship, what it is. And so what's interesting is ain't nobody had an acoustic guitar. Nobody was on a keyboard. There were no lights and there was no fog and there were not thousands of people. There was a knife. There was wood. There was fire and there was a sacrifice. I find that interesting. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little bit farther and we will worship there and we will come right back. Now, it's interesting because the place where God told him to go to worship, he said, I'm going to show you. But I believe there was even a testing that took place of three days, three different days where Abraham had multiple opportunities to say, oh, no, I'm just looking. No, that was surely 
God, I mean, this is a big requirement. Surely not. And can you imagine? I'm quite sure the mind games that Abraham went through. I mean, day one, oh God, I'm going to be sacrificing myself. Day two, oh God, is this really great? Day three, and the same fiery obedience that was in him the moment he said yes to God was the same obedience by the time he made it to Moriah that was bubbling out of his heart saying, yes, God, whatever you ask of me. Whatever you require of me. I believe that God is waiting for those in a generation who say, yes, God, whatever you're requiring of me, whatever you're asking of me, I don't care what anybody else says. My answer to you, my declaration is yes and amen. I will do it. I will go. I will sacrifice whatever price has to be paid. I will pay the price because that's how much I want to see revival in my generation. If I could just have about two or three of you who authentically believe that this nation can be turned upside down. It was said of the apostles in the book of Acts that these are they, these 12, 11, Judas out. These are they who were raised by Matthias, I guess. Whatever. And so these are they who turned the world, Acts 17, upside down. 11. 11. The entire world turned upside down. So how many could it possibly take to turn your school upside down? How many could it possibly take to turn your city upside down? Stay here. We will worship. We will worship a knife, an altar, a sacrifice. It's kind of reminiscent of Paul's idea of worship in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, I I beg of you, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, before God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. For this is your reasonable act of service or your spiritual act of worship. I beg of you, this is what worship is, to bring yourself before the Lord, says Paul in the New Testament. Kind of weird that he had the same kind of paradigm for worship as we see back in in Genesis. Verse 9 going on. So Abraham arrives there. He gets to Moriah. He gets to the place where, where, where God tells him to sacrifice. And, and here's little Isaac looking around for the sacrifice. Daddy, where's the sacrifice at? I see a knife. I see wood. I see an altar. Who about to be killed? Where's the sheep? You know, can you imagine little Isaac, you know, and, 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 and most scholars would say Isaac would have been, a, this isn't a little three or four or five year old boy. This is about, he's about in his teenage years. He could have slugged Abraham upside the head and took off running saying, you ain't killing me. But Abraham says that, of course, this is all a prophetic picture of another father who allowed his son to carry his own sacrifice up a hill and die there. A son who could have called legions of angels to be rescued, of course, but that's another message for another day. So the Bible says that Abraham takes him and he ties down Isaac on the altar. He ties him down, ties him down. And so I'm just asking you, what is your Isaac? What is your Isaac or who is your Isaac? See, what is it that is so precious to you that you need to tie down and come before an altar and say, Lord, I 
I give it back to you. See, going back to my mom's foreshadowing words, Brandon, there's going to come a time when, when you're going to walk through, whenever you're going to walk through some uncomfortable places for the cause of Christ to fulfill your, to fulfill your calling. I mean, I experienced, I experienced it in college. There was a social group that I was a part of and the Lord just said, Hey, just walk away from it all. And I'm like, Lord, you know what? I mean, I'm a big deal in this organization. And he said, no, 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 I'm calling you to walk away from it all. And so it was in that moment, it was a sacrifice. There was an altar. I said, okay, Lord, I'm just giving this, giving this group, giving this, giving this to you. And there was a sacrifice that was made. And it was a very big deal to me. I was really high up and, and had lots of status on my college campus. And I laid it down. Everybody thought it was the craziest thing. I literally remember sitting on the curb of our student union in Louisiana saying, God, I just gave you a very big part of my life, a huge thing. And then it just, just so happened. The Lord just started reminding me of wherever David says, John wrote a song about this so powerfully that says, you're the glory. You're my shield. You're the glory. You're the lifter of my head. And in that moment, I'd never really, oh, how cute the Lord's the lifter of your head. But in that moment, whenever my head was down after my sacrifice, the Lord revealed to me personally a new aspect of his character that I had never quite experienced before. Lord, you're the lifter of my head. And I just started singing. Nobody else in front of my student union, worshiping God. Lord, you're the lifter of my head. God, you're the lifter of my head. I don't care if everybody else leaves me. God, you are going to be there for me. You are so faithful. And so uh, again, altars, altars. All along the way, there are too many empty altars in our lives. That's why there's no power. That's why there's no transformation. The altar is way too empty. And so towards the end of my senior year, I was graduating undergrad, business administration degree, and I had all of these plans. I mean, I had a ton of dreams. I mean, my parents just taught me to be dreaming. And so I was like, okay, I'll go into the financial sector. I received a notable scholarship from PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is one of the leading accounting firms in that day. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go work for PricewaterhouseCoopers, and then I'll do like some volunteer ministry, something along the way. And, and, and so, but in my senior year, I just remember the Lord calling me on this extended fast, 40 days, seeking the Lord, senior year saying, Lord, what is your calling me to do? Sent me to YWAM for about five months. YWAM, Tyler, Texas. And it was there in prayer rooms. Once again, me and Jason up and just have this thing going on. Okay. And so we're just, I'm like, again, just on the floor weeping. Heal me, father, heal me. I know I'm depending on you. Okay. These are all just whatever. And so I'm just, I'm laid on the ground, just weeping, saying, God, fix anything and everything that's broken in me because I want to serve you with everything. I want to make a mark in my generation. Still, I was about 22 that time. And I remember in that moment where the Lord says, okay, Brandon, I'm about to require up something of you again. And this was a huge, and he says, God, and he says, you know, Brandon, this is what it is. And he showed me this passage. This is about, uh, this is in 2006 or so. And he says, okay, here's what I'm requiring of you now. And personally, I believe this is the biggest thing, at least in my own life. I don't know about you, but my dreams are everything. You can mess with a lot, but don't start messing with my with my dreams, with the things that have been in my heart for years and years. And so the Lord says, now I'm going to require for you to just lay your dreams on the altar. And I was like, but God, I have, I mean, many are the plans in a man's heart, Proverbs chapter 16, and God calls us to plan and plan, 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 and whatever. And I think sometimes we plan ourselves right out of the presence of God. And so I, and so I was right. I was like, but God, this is my, you know, one, two, three step. I mean, this is it. And he says, I want you to lay it on the altar. I remember reading this passage of scripture thinking, Oh God. And so weeping, it was an altar, it was a personal altar in my life. And I say, okay, God, I give you all of my dreams, everything, all of my plans, everything I ever thought I would do for, it's all just, it's all just, it's, it's all just, just on the altar. And I just, bam, 
I'm laying it here for you. Do with it what you will. And I remember, I remember that day, just like yesterday. And I came back to this passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. But before I go there, I just want to say every major private and personal move of God is preceded by an altar. Every major private and personal move of God is preceded by an altar. Always, 100%, an altar. Anybody who's ever built anything great, anybody who's ever done anything great in the kingdom or even secular, they all say, okay, there were sacrifices to be made along the way. See, altars, in my view, of what I've seen even in church history and studying it, altars lead to outpourings. It's altars that lead to outpourings of God's presence and spirit like never before. So I remember in closing coming to Hebrews chapter 11. I was studying this out in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. The message translation says this, uh, verse 17, by faith, Abraham at the time of testing offered Isaac back to God. And it says acting in faith, he was as ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been to receive him. And this, after he had already been told, your descendants shall come from Isaac. Going on, Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. In a sense, that's what, that's what happened. When he received Isaac back alive from off the altar. And as I was studying this passage, it just kind of came, I mean, it just kind of came to my spirit. Brandon, it was never about Isaac. It was never about the death of an Isaac. It was about the death of something on the inside of Abraham. See, something in Abraham died that day. Whenever he became, came before an altar and said, Lord, I am placing that which I've put all of my trust and all of my faith in, that which I love so much, almost as much perhaps as I love you, I am laying it on the altar. And God says, in a sense, Hebrews, in a sense, he received him back to life. And I couldn't figure this out. And then the Holy Spirit just started speaking to me. It's not that something died on that altar. It was that something died in the altar of Abraham's heart. And here's what's really cool. After that, and the worship team, Karen and the worship team can make their way up to the stage. After this, Abraham has one last dialogue. He has one last conversation with God. This is the last time in scripture that we'll see that Abraham has open dialogue with God. And I think that that's so interesting where his voice is heard in such a notable way recorded in scripture. Verse 10 says, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. 12, don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, don't hurt him in any way. For now, I know that you truly fear God. Why? 
Because you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. For now I know that you truly fear God. And could it be that at that moment, the Lord was as he does. Could it be in this moment, the Lord is walking up and down aisles, even now just saying, you know, I, I, uh, I know that you say that you love me and I know that, that you say that, 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 that you want to see great things done in, in your generation. But could it be that even today, even right now, this moment is a prophetic moment in your life where the Lord says it is time for your faith to be tested. And I am just allowing there to be a space where I will provide the altar. Will you provide a sacrifice of whatever your Isaac is? But listen to the blessing that Abraham experienced. Now I know that you fear God. Psalm 25, 14, the secrets of the Lord. Are not with those who have an affinity for God. The secret of the Lord is not with those who have just aimless, zealous passion and excitement and lift their hands really high. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear God. And I'm not talking about a trembling in the sense of, oh God, you're gonna as Pastor David was saying, cut my ears off and gouge out my eyes. I'm talking about a holy, reverential fear that when he speaks, everything inside of you begins to reverberate. And your only answer is the appropriate response. Yes, Lord. I don't care how painful it is. I don't care if it's a relationship. No, don't just get aimlessly excited. Do you fear God? Because those who fear him get his secrets. I want his secrets. I want to know things about him that I've never known before. You see, Abraham, in a moment where he sacrificed on an altar and said, God, I fear you. In that moment, the Bible says, now I know you fear me. And Abraham got a revelation of the characteristic of God that he is Yahweh, Yira, Jehovah, Jireh. He is the Lord. Literally translated, it is the Lord who sees. We add in, he is the Lord who provides because he is the Lord that saw that there was a need and he chose to provide. And Abraham left that moment, final conversation with God, but he walked away with a nugget of truth that nobody else had ever got in the course of humanity because he says, I fear God and my altar's not empty. I don't know where you are in your journey with the Lord, but I know there's some empty altars that the Lord is coming after today saying, I am providing altars in this place. And those of you are already coming to say, you know what? I have some Isaacs in my life and it's time for me to lay it down on the altar. Knowing that it's not even, some of your Isaacs are people. It ain't that the person is so bad. Forget that. It's something on the inside of you that God says by laying that on the altar, this will die and something else will be resurrected on the inside of you. Thus proving that you fear me. Now I am ready to speak to you. Banning said it best. You guys would keep coming back because it's a hard cry. What is it that shapes a generation? It's when you got a word in your spirit. You show me a man with a word in your spirit. I'll show you the man that will change a generation because God's word. We lay hold. Paul said it this way. I want to lay hold of that which has laid hold of me. 
And in this moment, God is wanting to lay hold to some of your hearts and mark you, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for the rest of your life. His word is going to begin to be edged in your heart even now. And I feel that prophetically. I feel the Holy Spirit of the living God in this place right now. And if you will respond, he will mark you. If you will do business with him, so we don't have tons of time, where are you? If you need to lay some eyes on the altar, I want you to come and just lay flat on your face. Come on, this isn't a popularity altar call. I don't care who, come on. Don't come because your friend is coming. Come and say, here's my Isaac. Lord, I'm laying it on the altar. My altar will not be empty. My Isaac will die. And I will be marked forever. I saw even as Carrie was leading us earlier, I saw this picture like mantles just kind of falling through the ceiling. And those of you who don't know, just read your Bible in the Old Testament. Whenever Elijah was about to be taken up to heaven, Elisha's instructions were, wait on me and catch my mantle. If you see me whenever I go, there's a mantle. A mantle is always representative of a calling and a fresh vision from the Lord. Some of you have been struggling so hard because you can't even figure out what your calling is because you're so wrapped up in your Isaac but the Lord says in this moment I will release a new mantle and you will begin to see what revival looks like because if you can't see it you won't believe it he is releasing prophetic vision even now